At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of canna bias, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gontrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to Gontrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfold, and thank you for listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of Gontrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Uh, today, I'm joined by Tim Fair. He's a friend of mine, a friend of the show now. It's his second appearance. Uh, he's a Vermont-based attorney uh, and founder of Vermont Cannabis Solutions. Uh, he advises cannabis businesses in the state uh, and also defends individuals accused of cannabis related criminal offenses. Uh, how you doing, man? Doing great, TG. Thanks so much for having me on. No, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to see you. Um, you know, you're still in Burlington while I have absconded deeper into the mountains. Uh, so we don't get to talk or see each other that much uh, anymore. But, um, you know, it's great to have you on. You know, we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on in Vermont, and, and you've done a lot since uh, legalization, uh, you know, the, the gray market legalization has occurred in Vermont. But uh, before, you know, we get into all that sort of stuff, uh, remind people about your background and how you ended up in the space. Well, um, I graduated from law school in 2012, uh, went into criminal defense. And, uh, you know, prior to that, um, kind of my previous incarnation, uh, you know, I was pretty strongly into uh, advocacy for drug policy reform. This is something that has always been a passion of mine uh, ever since college, back when I was uh, 18 years old and attempted uh, unsuccessfully to form a chapter of normal at my uh, community college in Long Island. Uh, you know, this is something that I've just been passionate about. I felt that the United States drug policy has been wrong. Uh, viewing uh, drug use and addiction as a criminal uh, behavior as opposed to a health concern, uh, this to me just never jived. And once I, uh, you know, had the opportunity to go to law school and graduate and become an attorney, this was something I've had a passion for. So after a few years of uh, kind of learning the ropes, um, I made the decision to transfer into an area that I felt uh, I could actually have uh, an impact uh, in terms of overall drug policy. 
So I think the last time that we spoke, legalization was either on the verge or had just passed. Um, but, but, you know, there was no uh, implemented uh, recreational market, as, as you know, and most of our listeners know. Um, and so what, you know, what has your role been uh, post-legalization in Vermont as it relates to uh, advising businesses? Well, you know, uh, you're exactly right. We, we passed legalization in 2018 here in Vermont, and we legalized uh, possession of up to an ounce. We legalized a home grow of up to six plants to mature, four immature. Uh, however, what we didn't do was legalize any sort of tax and regulated system. So it's legal to possess, it's legal to consume, it's legal to grow a little bit. It is not legal to buy or sell uh, cannabis anywhere here in the uh, state of Vermont. So over the past two years, we have been focusing on uh, kind of two prongs. A, developing of our hemp and CBD industry, which uh, we have a thriving industry here in Vermont, thanks to uh, some really great regulation uh, from our Department of Agriculture, who really supports the industry, uh, while at the same time trying to move forward a tax and regulated bill so we can get a commercial marketplace here. Uh, and that's posed, of course, its own unique challenges. Well, so let me stop you right there real quick. Uh, just yesterday, it came up in a, in a committee, am I correct? And there's still a, 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 a pretty big gap there between what, what What's, what's the holdup right now? Uh, I mean, you know, we could do <laughs> lots. <laughs> COVID, <laughs> for one. Um, <clears throat> and we just still don't have a reconciled bill. Uh, there's still a lot of resistance within our legislature. Uh, the Speaker of the House, Mitzi Johnson, who happens to be a Democrat, uh, has never been on board with cannabis. She doesn't like it. Uh, she's never liked it. She makes no, uh, you know, she doesn't try to hide that she doesn't like it. And uh, she has really been a roadblock in getting uh, this moved in a quick fashion um you know but we are seeing movement uh you know a basically this conference committee which the job of this committee is to reconcile the senate version and the house version of our tax and reg bill which uh, have some very very different provisions in them uh to come up with one final bill which would then get submitted to the governor this committee was formed on march 13th <laughs> our legislature shut down to COVID on march 15th yeah. uh, so there was some questions if they would ever have a chance to convene Yesterday, they convened for the first time. Uh, they spent about three hours kind of uh, discussing where the Senate was, where the House was, uh, determined that there were some very big gaps in what they wanted to see. Uh, but the movement of just the committee meeting and starting to do some work, that was probably the most positive sign we've seen in a while. Two weeks ago, I would have said this bill is dead in the water. Um, now I would say it's not dead. It's still in the water, <laughs> but we at least see some signs of life. Did, did lawmakers say anything to the effect during that committee meeting that, you know, the state was facing any sort of financial deficits from COVID, which most states are, especially, you know, smaller rural states? Um, you know, is that part of the impetus or is it just sort of trying to uh, finally let the horse out of the gate? I think a little bit of both. Um, the problem is that the state received from their tax department a estimation of revenue from this bill, which, in my opinion, was massively underestimated. What was uh, that? What was that? Uh, massively underestimated. What was the uh, thing? They, they anticipate that it will take three years before we see any sort of return on the initial investment to get the program started. And they're saying, you know, the amounts will be in one to two million in tax revenue a year, all based on 20 to 30 million of sales a year. I mean, I mean, meanwhile, meanwhile, just to sort of cut you off real quick, I mean, meanwhile, Massachusetts is raking money from New Yorkers, people from New Jersey. Um, I mean, so, so you'd, you'd wager to guess that that same sort of influx of out-of-state customers would be coming to Vermont. 
It'd be enormous. I, I mean, it would be. <laughs> they, they extrapolated out from Oregon sales based on one year uh, and then uh, factored in the population change and, you know, <laughs> taking into none of the considerations that Oregon and Vermont are very different places. Very well, I mean, states, Washington, Washington's right there. There's legalization and... Right. So, you know, I, so that, but unfortunately, a lot of the uh, legislators are using that base. So they don't yet believe that there's going to be the income that we believe there will be from this. Uh, but there is a strong, you know, understanding that the status quo just simply can't exist. Uh, again, we have this kind of a very, very, very loose legalization law that leaves a lot to be, uh, you know, interpreted, a lot that is just not addressed, not answered. They talk about you can have a, ounce of flour or five grams of hashish. <laughs> nothing about concentrates, nothing about wax shot. So what does that mean? Yeah. Is it equivalent of a, you know, hash? I mean, we're guessing it is, but uh, there's just a lot that is very unclear, which has made moving forward with our industry very difficult for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Well, so let's let's talk a little bit about some of those, you know, the the sort of strangeness of of the setup that you guys have there. You, you described the cannabis laws earlier. So so criminally, what charges uh, have you been hired to defend? Well, you know, we have you you have uh, possession of an ounce, you can grow six plants. So 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 you know, what charges are uh, state state local law enforcement officials uh, bringing against people under this regime? So it really is interesting. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but Vermont has 14 counties. Uh, each county has its own elected state's attorney. So you have 14 separate state's attorneys who have an unbelievable amount of autonomy to pursue the agendas that they feel are most important. So in certain counties, such as Chittenden here in Burlington, we're not seeing a whole lot of state uh, prosecutions for cannabis. Uh, in other counties with uh, different-minded state's attorneys, we are. So in the last year, uh, just since legalization, I've had to defend a husband and wife. Husband is a medical marijuana patient and veteran, Navy veteran, uh, with diagnosed PTSD uh, and a hemp cultivator who was charged with felony cultivation for cultivating three what the state police called mature plants. Seriously. One plant over their limit which technically isn't even a felony, yet him and his wife had nothing at all to do with his growth operation were both charged with felony counts. Uh, we had a great resolution in that. We ended up, after quite a bit of back and forth, getting the state's attorney's office uh, to drop those charges, uh, but not without a lot of work to uh, get put in to convince them to do so. Uh, we've seen um, CBD oil manufacturers being arrested when law enforcement believes that the, what they're putting together is illegal. There's a, you know, a lot of... You know, I'm not going to say it's intentional uh, ignorance on the part of law enforcement, but there's, you know, a very lack of a really a full understanding of the differences between hemp and marijuana, CBD and THC. Um, there's still a huge learning curve. And uh, a lot of this law enforcement will just go in, uh, you know, proverbial guns a-blazing. Uh, and uh, that's what we're uh, still dealing with, because in this lack of regulation, there are so many open questions that, you know, it, it makes it very difficult uh, for anybody to be operating on the right side of the law because you simply don't know what the right side of the law is uh, in a lot of occasions. Well, so in, in one of the cases that sort of, a, I don't want to say it drew sort of national attention, but it did, you know, there was so many moving parts and it involved federal uh, law enforcement officials. Um, am I correct? Oh, absolutely. We're talking about the case of, of uh, a guy named Big John, uh, well-known in the community, uh, has a skate shop. Um, I don't know if he ran for mayor, but but uh, people really want him to be mayor. 
um, with sort of some of the graffiti you see and, and the, the stuff like that. Um, so, so tell me, you know, tell us about that case, how the feds got involved. And I mean, it's a really interesting case. There's a lot of moving parts and, and um, I mean, you, the, the resolution you got was, I mean, goddamn, goddamn, you know? So, so just, just walk us through that, man. Okay. Uh, you know, there are a lot of moving parts. And I think you need, before we can just jump right into it, we kind of need to set the stage a little bit and understand the context of which this happened. Okay. Um, you know, Big John, John uh, has run Riding High, which is a local skate shop for the last almost 20 years. Uh, an absolute, you know, I just... <laughs> He's amazing, you know, and he has worked with now two generations of kids learning to skate. Uh, this has been a passion of his, uh, but John's been a pro skater. He took a nasty, nasty fall, suffered a pretty significant TBI about a decade back, uh, recovered, came back, stuck with it. He has, uh, you know, he's a great guy. Uh, and he happens to be a very strong advocate for cannabis. Uh, he believes it's a healing flower. He believes that it helped him recover from his uh, accident. Uh, and he believes in the positive uh, aspects of cannabis. He makes no hint about it, uh, which unfortunately has resulted in quite a few run-ins with law enforcement over the years, uh, where he <laughs> simply, <laughs> one occasion, police came in to uh, you know, investigate the reports of a grow. And as soon as they're in, what does Big John do? But Big John pulls out a joint, lights it up. He's like, John, you can't do that. He's like, why? It's my healing medicine. Um, you know, and John, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's an amazing guy. So unfortunately, this has counted in quite a record building up on him. Uh, now flash forward to 2018, we're here in Burlington, legalization has passed. Um, and there was an incident with a retailer uh, not Big John, but another retailer up on Church yep. Street, which is the main tourist drag of Burlington, yep. uh, an open-air pedestrian walkway with shops, and uh, decided to start selling, amongst other things, marijuana, edibles, uh, allegedly uh, some other substances as well, um, out of a shop in, on Church Street, directly across from City Hall. Uh, and this went on for uh, quite a few months, and uh, it pissed a lot of people off. Um, the state didn't seem to be interested in prosecuting. And we could talk about why that is, but lo and behold, the state did not. And eventually the feds uh, just decided they'd had enough. Um, this was blatant, this was well known. There were lines right out the door. It was uh, underage children were having access. There were no ID. Uh, there were reports of firearms being involved. Uh, this was a mess. And this couldn't, you know, I don't think anybody should ever be arrested for marijuana. This was a lot more than that. Um, so after that, there was kind of a shock uh, amongst the town, like, oh my God, this was going on. Uh, and it was uh, at that time that I do believe roughly that the uh, feds also began investigating Big John. Now, Big John's shop, riding high, completely different part of town, down on Battery Street. Um, the allegations were that he was selling uh, some cannabis out of his store as well. Uh, the facts showed that there was ID. There was never any sales to minors. There was never any firearms involved. There was never any other type of substances involved. Um, but the feds decided to begin an investigation and conducted a 16-month investigation into uh, into Big John. So that's a hell of a use of federal funds. Federal, six undercover buys. You know what the largest buy was? $40. $40 worth of marijuana. Uh, was their big bust, uh, several $20 sales. I believe there was a $30 sale. Uh, I, I, so after 16 months, six, seven undercover sales. God only knows how much surveillance time. Uh, yep, a raid of Big John's uh, 
house, his business, his uh, property up in uh, upstate New York, um, and him and his longtime partner, Samantha, were both uh, arrested by federal agents and charged with multiple felonies for a case that, honestly, even in 10 years this ago, is, this never involved in this. Never. This is DEA? Uh, this is Northern Vermont Drug Task Force, so a combination okay. of DEA and local all deputized on their uh, aid. So, yep, uh, that's uh, that's in the middle of an opium epidemic, in the middle of, uh, you know, some really serious issues. Uh, this is how the U.S. Attorney's Office in Vermont chose to utilize limited resources. Um, and the reality is that, unfortunately, we were able to keep Samantha, who was charged with both uh, conspiracy and uh, uh, production and possession of edibles. She'd started a CBD edible company. Uh, there are a couple emails that they claimed were THC. We kept her out. John ended up having to spend eight months in pretrial uh, detention. Uh, if it wasn't for COVID, he may not have gotten out. Uh, his was represented by my old mentor, my former boss, Paul Volk, an incredible defense attorney. Uh, the two of us worked together. I represented Samantha. He was able to get John released on a COVID uh, concern. And when we finally went to sentencing, we were able to get probation for both Big John moving forward, and Samantha, um, no additional jail time for John, which was an incredible outcome. I, I do wonder, if not for COVID, if that we would have gotten that resolution. Um, but we did. And in a way, we hope that after a 16-month investigation, after the tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on this investigation, to end up with two probation sentences, maybe this might show the U.S. Attorney's Office that their resources would be better spent uh, in a different area. Uh, but, you know, it, it really does show that at this point in time, um, anybody is fair game. And one of the things we've seen as a result of this kind of half-legalization measure here in Vermont is an explosion of the black and gray markets. Uh, some people going into business trying to be on the right side of the law, uh, and then some people going into business with no interest of being on the right side of the law, just taking advantage of the opportunities that they see uh, in this half-assed legalization scheme. So with with the with the, the, the Big John case, um, you know, what, do, do you think that this would sort of have any impact on uh, how officials may go forward with with investigations and things because of the outcome that, you know, you were able to get? I mean, you know, these guys doing probation. You know, they didn't get a bigger fish out of all this, right? Like, they, they it's not really, the, the result isn't really sending a message to other people, right? I mean, probation for many people may be worth the risk. Um, what, what do you think about that? Absolutely. I mean, that that is the hope. If there's any silver lining to this type of situation, if there's any good that can come from the unbelievable disruption and impact on uh, John and Samantha's lives, the unnecessary, unwarranted uh intrusion and impact on their lives, which was significant and substantial. Uh, if any good can come of this, it's a hope that the prosecutors, the powers that be, um, will look and see and go, wow, we spent a lot of resources, we spent a lot of money, a lot of time, uh, and this is what the end result was. Did we prove our case? Yes. Did they plead guilty to selling some small amounts of marijuana to adults? Yes. Great. Was that worth it? You know, I, I, interesting. Go, going back about a decade, decade and a half, uh, if you remember Operation Pipe Dreams, 
yeah. when the uh, FBI uh, spent uh, the, the single most ridiculous use of money, over a million dollars, to prosecute Tommy Chong. Well, well I mean, hell yeah. And, I, was, uh, I was working in the paraphernalia industry when that happened. You know, and and the the simple fact that you, I mean, it, it sort of led to nobody being able to say the word bong. True, it's ridiculous. It also led to a stopping of those type of prosecutions. That's true. Uh, because the amount of resources that were spent for the result, putting Tommy Chong in jail for, what, a month or two? Uh, you know, over a million dollars on that particular investigation. So in a parallel, we're hoping that that would be kind of this. You know, uh, whether it was 50000 or whether it was 100000 we don't know how much they spent over 16 months. But with seven buys, with the overtime hours, with the surveillance, um, you know, it was significant. For what ultimately ends up being two probation sentences, it, <laughs> the powers that be, hopefully, a little bit of common sense would say, you know what, maybe our resources are better spent somewhere else. Uh, that's the hope. Um, we have yet to wait and see what happens. Uh, you know, one of the things, however, that the chief justice, the judge in this case, who was our, you know, the district of Mont chief federal judge, uh, one of the things she said was, you know, this type of behavior was not legal under state law. Uh, so I don't want to hear that, you know, and it wasn't legal under federal law. But she made a point of, you know, emphasizing the fact that this sales of marijuana still are not legal in the state of Vermont. Uh, as justification uh, for the investigation and for the prosecution. So that's, you know, this is, again, if we could legalize, if we could establish a taxed and regulated system, now people have a very clear line. They know what they can do. They know what they can't do. Uh, and entrepreneurs and business people like John and Samantha would have a route to be able to apply, receive, and get an adult use dispensary license. Well, is is this the biggest issue facing current Vermont, you know, legal operators, right? People who are operating in the hemp and CBD industry. Um, is this gray market, you know, st even though it doesn't really impact them, you know, legally, right? Because they're operating within the confines of both federal and state law. Is this still the biggest issue facing current Vermont operators? Or is there sort of something else that, that you know, may, may be more of a factor, I guess? Uh, you know, for right now, there is a pretty big distinction between our hemp and CBD industries uh, and the uh, potential adult use industry. Um, and the hemp and CBD industries have their own issues. Uh, most of those on the federal level, uh, and that is the USDA regulations coming out uh, being, you know, just simply unworkable. Um, you know, they have put forth that there needs to be a 0.3% uh, total THC threshold for hemp, which would include THCA. Again, don't want to get too much into the weeds on this, but basically putting forth a regulatory scheme that is unworkable for any hemp farmers. Well, and isn't isn't didn't Vermont propose a one percent uh, limit on THCs for to be considered industrial hemp? Yes, and that is under the pilot program we're currently operating for this year. Unfortunately, the authorization for that pilot program runs up October thirty first, so that will be good for this season and for everything harvested this season. Uh, big question and a lot of concern is what happens next season. Uh, will USDA change this uh, or not? Because again, our authorization to act under our 2014 pilot program ends up the 31st. Vermont is a very strong advocate of the 1% total THC standard, uh, which I think is still ridiculously low. However, it is workable. Uh, that can be met. Uh, a point three on total is it just it's, it's ridiculous. I, you know, you'll have to burn every crop. Uh, so that's kind of the big thing right now, uh, you know, on the implementation of these USDA regulations, sampling, 
uh, lab results, not having a uh, robust uh, laboratory um, system yet, not having any clear standardization for testing. Do we test wet? Do we test dry? What's 0.3? Is 0.3 the source? Is 0.3 the materials? There's still a lot of open questions within the hemp and CBD realm. So those are kind of separate uh, from our adult use. And frankly, it's interesting because the hemp and the CBD are looking more at the federal side. USDA because there have been regulations at the federal level, while our adult use industry is looking solely at state law, obviously, because we have seen no federal motion in there. How tough has the last couple of years been for you as an attorney having to figure all this shit out as it comes along? I love it. Um, it's interesting. It's challenging. Uh, you know, <laughs> learning the stuff is not the bad part. Uh, I love that. It's, you know, especially at least with tax and reg here in Vermont, uh, the challenges are significant in terms of, A, we've got you know 60% approval, but that leaves about 40% who are still opposed. So we have a very strong prohibitionist contingent here in Vermont, more than most people would think. Uh, and there's also internal conflict uh, within the community about S54 in particular and our tax and regulate bill. There are a lot of cultivators who are very against uh, any sort of regulatory scheme in this bill as well. Um, for some for very valid reasons and others for some misinterpreted reasons. Uh, so it's kind of fighting a two-front war. We're trying to explain uh, and deal with the prohibitionists while at the same time uh, almost having a civil war within the own cannabis community about whether or not tax and regulate as it's currently uh, proposed is going to be good for the state. So that's Wait, do, do you mind telling yeah. me where you, where, where you stand on it? Do you want to... Um, so, you know, as you may or may not know, Vermont is was the first to pass legalization legislatively. Um, since then, Illinois did as well, a very different setup than we have here. Uh, we didn't do it by ballot initiative. We don't have the option for ballot initiative. So it's the part of any legislative, uh, you know, solution, any laws that get passed in a legislative fashion requires compromise. Um, I understand that. I do. Uh, there are going to be provisions that we are going to have to hold our noses and accept in order to get it across the finish line, uh, at which point, once we establish a cannabis control board, now we can start petitioning to try to make the changes that we need to. Um, that is what I do believe needs to happen if we're ever going to get it over the finish line. However, there is a strong contingent that says, no, we can't fix it later. We need to fix it first uh, and pass a better bill. In an ideal world, yes. Uh, is that legislatively going to work? It's simply not. We have 40% of prohibitionists. And in order to get the votes needed, again, you know, this is the legislative process, and it's not always great. And sometimes you know, the compromises are not what we would ideally make. Uh, but I've also been working on this for almost four years. Uh, you know, we really started trying to get a tax and regulated system moved in 2016 with decriminalization. It took from 2016 to now to get a bill. And if this bill does not pass, as many people want to kill the bill, uh, we are looking at potentially two, three, maybe four years before we get another one. Well, so in the, in, 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 you know, the, the, this upcoming election is, a, is sort of a big deal for cannabis advocates in Vermont uh, because it appears that Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman is poised to challenge Phil Scott, a Republican. Um, and I mean, I, you know, anyone who, you know, has met Zuckerman knows that he is supportive of legalized cannabis. Uh, and, you know, and he's, you know, he's an agriculture guy, right? So, so, you know, if this doesn't pass, I mean, wouldn't the potential election of Zuckerman 
um, you know, sort of break that 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 stalemate, right? I mean, it, it's, well, we have to remember, you know, we have the executive branch as the governor, we have the legislative branch that's passing the laws. Uh, will there be a stronger push from the executive branch and the governor's office to get something done if uh, David gets elected? Absolutely. Would it be beneficial to getting this done quicker? Absolutely. Uh, that is a uphill climb, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I know David very well. We, I would consider him a personal friend. We've been friends for quite some time. Uh, I've supported him in his elections. I've volunteered uh, and done phone banking for him when he was running for lieutenant governor. He's a great guy. He's an organic farmer. He is just the right values. Uh, but the reality is that Phil Scott, who is a Republican, is a very centralized Republican. He has disavowed Trump. And he has about an 83 percent, I believe, right now, uh, approval rating in how he's handled the uh, COVID pandemic. 83 percent. 83 percent. He's done a good job. Uh, David needs to frame this election properly if he has a chance. And that is, yes, he's done a, you know, Phil Scott's done a good job, but he's done what any rational, sane governor would do, which is listen to the scientists <laughs> and implement what his Department of Health is telling him is the safest bet. You know, with Republicans these days, that is incredible in and of itself. <laughs> to run the scientists, you know? Um, you know, but not, not as anything special, as anything that any rational person would do. And frame the election is looking into the future. Okay, yes, Phil Scott has done a good job now. What he has not done is propose or come up or plan for how we are going to recover from this pandemic and from the impact that it's had. Whereas, and if David can frame it like that, not looking at the present, but looking into the future, putting forth a strategic plan of which cannabis legalization, tax and regularization would be a central part of, I think he has a chance. Um, but of course, you know, with everything going on right now, politics is, nobody's ever seen anything like this before. Uh, you know, with what we see in Washington combined with the pandemic, uh, combined with a, uncertainty about what the next 90 days is going to bring between now and the election. Uh, I think there's a lot of variables and it's really hard to, uh, to predict, I think much harder than in previous elections. How did, uh, you know, the local CBD businesses fare during the pandemic? Did, did we, did you guys see a whole lot, you know, get, get sort of shut down or, or decide to close their doors for good? What did you see on the ground? We have seen a handful of brick and mortar shops closed down for good. Uh, you know, a three months shutdown uh, was incredibly detrimental to a lot of businesses. Most of the CBD shops uh, here in Vermont had just sprung up uh, within the last, you know, year. So many of them new businesses. Were they considered essential businesses during the, the shutdown? Uh, no. Uh, so medical cannabis, medical cannabis dispensaries were, uh, but CBD stores uh, were not. Uh, so there was, you know, the brick and mortar shutdown. And even now that we, you know, Vermont has, you know, pretty much moved along with our reopening, uh, brick and mortar retail is still taking a huge hit. Uh, one of the biggest, uh, you know, a group of customers for retail here in Vermont are Canadians. Uh, a lot of Quebecois and uh, Canadian tourists would come down here, spend quite a bit of money, one estimate uh, close to a billion dollars a year uh, from Canadian um, tourists. And of course, the border's been shut. So that's a huge uh, percentage of revenue that has just been completely shut off, uh, has not yet returned. And there are still people, there are a lot of people who are very skeptical about returning into uh, brick and mortar shops. So, um, you know, retail in general has taken a huge hit. Uh, and especially some of the newer um, CBD stores, too, have taken a pretty big hit. The people who are doing all right are the ones manufacturing products and doing online sales. Those have seen, uh, if anything, an increase. So, uh, you know, I mean, we've, we've covered quite a bit of ground here, man. Um, and, 
you know, you for the last, you know, like like we've sort of talked about the last couple of years, you've been, you know, learning uh, all these new rules, regulations, laws, uh, helping both businesses and individuals in in uh, criminal cases, advising businesses, you know, and and, and defending uh, individuals. Um, so right now, you know, when it comes to entrepreneurs, what, what's your advice for them when it comes to sort of navigating an entirely new uh, set of rules and, and, and uh, you know, operations? A, have a game plan, a solid game plan. Know why you're getting into the industry, know what you want to accomplish, and then be willing to pivot on a dime. Um, you know, those are kind of the main uh, rules right now. Uh, the successful businesses we've seen have had a good understanding of the regulatory framework, know what they can and cannot do, uh, and have operated within that framework. Uh, the you know, businesses we've seen that have not been that successful are the ones, well, we're just going to wing it and see See what happens certain cases i guess that would be a good plan in this particular industry it's just not right now uh and an understanding that there are still a lot of unknowns uh understanding of the federal uh, state conflict which has created a lot of problems for hemp cbd and medical and adult use just straight across the industry uh, understand 280e understand the legislative process and that things may not work these are understandings that if people have and people are willing to listen and learn and incorporate into their business plan. And, you know, that brings success. Uh, anything else? Um, you know, people lost a lot of money last year in the hemp industry here in Vermont uh, because they didn't plan. So. Yeah. And, and I mean, and it's really, it, it was sad to see, you know, because uh, I mean, it was such a robust, uh, you know, industry, everyone was really, really excited about hemp. And then, I mean, even in, in upstate New York, and then, you know, the bottom sort of fell out, um, a lack of processing and demand and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and that's, that's a conversation for another time. Um, <laughs> so where can people find out more about you more about uh, Vermont cannabis solutions, uh, you know, get in touch with you? Well, my partner, Andrew Subin, and I will be presenting at NECAN, uh, New England, an online uh, cannabis conference uh, coming up next month, which we're very excited about. Uh, you can find us at www.vermontcannabissolutions.com. Uh, and uh, other than that, give us a call. <laughs> uh, 802-540-WEED. We love talking about this all day. Wait, wait, what wait, did you say the number was? Our, uh, our office number, 802 540-WEED, 9333. I know. We were really excited when they got us that number, too. We didn't ask for it. <laughs> you, you definitely asked for it. We didn't. We didn't. I swear. The uh, customer service guy comes in, and he's got this look on his face. He's like, you guys are either going to love this or hate this, but I got you 540-WEED. It was amazing. <laughs> Uh, uh, we should have led with that. <laughs> and, and, and one day, one day, I think you're gonna have a, a, a Sal Goodman type commercial, and oh. it's just gonna be 802. Weed. <laughs> you know, fantastic. Like, at first, we're like, we want to stay away from the, you know, the pot leaves and the whole Bob Marley thing, and try to be professional. And then he comes in, and we just go down. We're like, all right, we love it. It's just inevitable. <laughs> uh, no, you can have the, you can have a very straight laced commercial, and then at the end, be like. Oh, by the way, our number is mean. I love it. I'm going to produce this for you. <laughs> we'll be waiting. Uh, 
This is Tim Fair. He's a Vermont-based attorney, uh, founder of Vermont Cannabis Solutions. Uh, they advise cannabis businesses in the state of Vermont. He also defends individuals accused of cannabis-related criminal offenses. Uh, super swell guy. Dude, it's, uh, it's nice to have you on again, and uh, you know, hopefully it's not another year. DJ, great to see you, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to meet and uh, see you in person before too, too long. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks a lot, brother. Have a good one. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com on Spotify and in the Apple iTunes store on the Gontrepreneur.com website. You'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault.